of our theme and welcome to episode 24 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast where we talk about the best Australian comedy show from the 90s ever made, The Late Show and other degeneration comedy tidbits. My name is Matt and joining this podcast today is Alison Daniel, Kim and Prue. Hey! And we have an amazing special guest. We have our guest reviewer, Brisbane radio personality and Late Show fanboy, Liam Renton. Hello guys. Hi Liam. Hey. Now, just a quick thing, Liam is a radio announcer from Brisbane. He also hosts a number of podcasts, which uh, you can feel free to plug away in a moment. And you've watched every single episode of The Late Show live as it went to air in 1992 and 1993. You never missed it. Lucky bastard. I I sacrificed every Saturday night for two years. My brother and I watched it religiously. And then we'd stay up and watch it the repeat on a Sunday night. We had school on Monday morning. So we'd watch it twice. Back when those days where you had to sit and watch TV, we'd We'd tape it as well, but we'd still stay and watch it live. We loved it. When you hear this bit, is this always a trigger to you? (laughs) I'm trying to place it. It seems to be so many years. It's Birds of a Feather, the ending theme song. Yeah, just as it rolled into, uh, that's mainly season two. Yeah, right. It was always the ABC ads that I remember. You'd just have have a whole series of ads, you know, plugging their own shows or the ABC shop or whatever it was to buy at the time. I remember those just before it would go to air. Now, um, what actual podcasts do you host uh, elsewhere? Look, what I I think I've had the most success with is a Christmas podcast that we do all year round and we have just as many people listening to it in, say, June as we do in December. So a bit like this podcast where you find your tribe of people that have a passion. Uh, You know, we love The Late Show. There are so many people that love Christmas as well. So we literally talk Christmas uh, all year round. It's called Christmas Potting and uh, you'd be surprised (laughs) how how many things you can talk about Christmas in the middle of the year. That's awesome, mate. So if you love your Christmas, get onto that Christmas potting. Cheap plug, thank you. That's okay. Great pun there, Liam. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Now, first of all, this episode, you know, this is horrible timing altogether, but we've got to say uh, valet to Ernie Sigley, the legend Ernie. in Australian TV. Yep, and yep. And as you know, that this season two concentrates a lot on Ernie, especially with Potluck and a few other jokes down the track. Thank you to Alison who pointed out that Mick actually paid a tribute uh, to Ernie on uh, the Malloy show on Triple M. But I did go on this show once, uh, Ernie and uninvited. Denise. This was the late show. Um, <laughs> so me and Tony Martin turned up. And, I mean, you know, must remember when we did the late show, mm. uh, we, there wasn't a lot of fat. It was like, a tight turnaround. It was a tight it? turnaround. So if yeah. you had to go out and film something, you, yes. you needed to come back with something. Right. And so we went down to a doorbuster <laughs> sale thinking this will be great. Yeah, Someone's right. going to lose a finger yeah, in, okay. in, in a race for some white goods yes. or something like that. Yep. So we'll go down and film it. This will be brilliant. Yep. Anyway, when we got there, there was nothing there. Like There were no people. And we're right. going, oh, no, no, we're do? cooked. We're cooked. What we do can't do? do anything. So then we went uh, into into the apartment store, Meyer. Mm. And up on the second or third floor, I think in lingerie, right was uh, Ernie and Denise doing their show. Oh, like a live outside broadcast. A live outside oh, broadcast. And I've gone, okay, start filming. 
<laughs> give me five minutes. No and way. I went backstage and basically ran out onto their set while they were filming it in my underpants, <laughs> jumped up and down on their couch and left. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Inspired genius. <laughs> yeah, it's an amazing coincidence, isn't it, that um, that he'd be talking about that um, in the same week that we we talk about this, that episode. It's funny because seeing Mick Malloy jump up and down on Ernie and Denise's couch, that's an iconic bit of Australian TV. That gets replayed quite a lot, as we know. And it's not since, you know, after working in the media like you, Matt, for a couple of years, I look back and I think at the time I thought it was just so brilliant off the cuff. But now I think someone somewhere had to be in on that. How would they have mm-hmm. gotten How would they have gotten backstage with a camera? I, I truly believe Ernie and Denise didn't know. Their reactions mm-hmm. were so shocked. But someone somewhere said, sneak back here. They, they had a film crew. They just couldn't get that far into a TV show without someone up top knowing something about it. And they, they claim it was all off the cuff. I still reckon someone knew about it somewhere. Well, there's that footage just before he goes on where he's standing there amongst people who are very obviously TV crew and he's there in his Bart Simpson underpants. And would would none of them have flagged? <laughs> Surely... If, if he was a genuine intruder, they would have played. But there's also the footage of Pete Smith chucking him out on the stairs, which, you know, he, they must have known either Pete Smith or someone on the crew who just let them in. I mean, don't forget they worked at nine. So they probably yeah. knew new crew members or whatever and just did a bit of a nudge, nudge, wink, wink, and it was yeah. fine. <laughs> at that stage, too, don't forget, they were, they were into season two. And the cult following was already there. Probably someone yeah. would have thought, this is going to make up Ernie and Denise really cool with younger viewers. That they, I mean, I'm sure Ernie and Denise didn't know, but it mm. actually it was. I mean, I loved Ernie and Denise off the back of watching them on The Late Show. They'd always take the mickey or make a joke at their expense. The other feedback we've got is an actual listener who was listening to episode 23 at a very particular time when we're discussing uh, the location of Judith's friend from those fake letters. Uh, uh, yes, this, this is our live uh, Google mapping that we did last episode. Yes, and the address in WA. Whiskers O'Brien said that they were listening to that particular spot as they were driving in that street. <laughs> oh, that's odd. Another yeah. coincidence. Mm. Yeah, so, and I did ask, you know, you know, what was actually there, and they said it looks like offices, but on Google Maps it shows as 243 Leach Highway. It's on the corner. So it's probably been rebuilt since Audrey, Judith's friend, uh, lived there in 1993. They were going to take a photo of that spot, but the traffic was busy at the time. I love that you all think those letters are real. They're not real. <laughs> they look like the same font, the same paper, the same writing. I'm talking to people about Santa Claus yeah. or something. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, I do believe, Alison, you may have picked up some evidence to back yourself from last episode in regards to a certain relationship. Well, there were two things that I talked about in the last episode that were met with some scepticism by the panel. And so <laughs> I, I went off and I verified these points. And the first one was my claim that um, Mick and Judith's relationship was a bit more than kind of comedy flirting on the show because there's been a lot of sort of comedy sexual tension between the two of them. And, um, and I was quite convinced that it was actually a bit Kylie and Jason in that it was like, you know, the public face was we're definitely not a thing, but actually they became a thing for a brief period of time. And and I, 
to to research this, I listened to the entire um, commentary of Cracker Jack and I found this bit. I just don't like the fact that it's possibly implied by this scene that I'm a little easy, you know. You're not easy. You're staring down the barrel of of a dead set hornbag and no one would judge you for... What a beautiful looking couple. Try <laughs> It's gone all Sid and Nancy. And actually to prepare for this scene, because me and Jude have been good friends for a long time and we've known each other and um, we knew there was romance in the air so to prepare we decided the night before to sleep together. It really took the pressure off. Yeah, no, so there was no embarrassment on set. Yeah, and I, I love the fact this is actually a, a quote from the shit of bad eggs, I must admit, but you actually did refer to, to us as a couple of middle-aged alcoholics. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a beautiful love story for a couple of middle-aged alcoholics. <laughs> We're the new bogey in the court. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think probably that's, that's not really evidence that they were ever a thing at any point. Because, but I, I think also you could you could possibly read into it that maybe they were. So you know, I I think maybe I got a bit fanciful with that. I think I think it was a joke that they have carried on their entire comic career. However, I was right about one thing, and that was the existence of Judas' best friend Audrey. And and this required me to to listen to the entire commentary track of Bad Eggs. Now that was a great afternoon. What, <laughs> listening to two listening to two commentary tracks and not actually watching the film. Genuinely, there's some brilliant stuff in both those commentary tracks, so do listen to them. But here's the clip of Audrey. And here's your oh, friend Audrey. Here's my best friend Audrey Fairthorn. Playing uh, your best friend Audrey in mm. the film. And that was actually the hardest day for me because I thought if Audrey and I start giggling, we won't be able to stop. And she'd already told me that those glasses made me look like a bee. (laughs) Pity audiences didn't feel that way. (laughs) Is this a commentary or is this just a personal attack on Judith Lucy? Yeah. So the 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 bad eggs um, commentary track is brilliant for lots of reasons, but Judith does get quite bullied throughout the entire um, one and a half hours of it, and it sort of builds up, and that that's sort of towards the start of the film that bit. But yeah, get out your DVDs, watch both films, watch both the commentary tracks. You know that's that's about six hours of your life that you will really enjoy. Great detective great, work. Because um, I haven't listened to those in years, decades. <laughs> <laughs> worth, worth the effort, worth the effort. Well, I've yeah. actually got a little uh, Easter egg here kind of thing um, because this actually happened when I was trying to set up to get this show recording tonight. I did hear uh, a bit of a noise going out front and I'm thinking, oh, they're going to be too loud when I actually start recording. There was a Mr Whippy van driving past. But <laughs> they knew I was recording uh, because this is what it actually sounded like. Three. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that that sound means that they've run out of ice cream, Matt. Oh. <laughs> I, I like to think they're appealing to different demographics there because the kids will all come to the and and then sort of Generation X will come along for you know the Led Zeppelin three. Actually, we've got. Oh, sorry if I just go off mic a bit. Should we help you? Hey, Matt. How about some prizes? Yes. <laughs> Okay, 
There was a bit of a little teaser on our Facebook group. If you go to Facebook and type in the Champagne Comedy Podcast, you'll see it there. Set on private, answer three questions and you'll get in. Now, this company, um, well, actually, I'm going to show you here on the webcam. Liam, you actually haven't seen this, all right? These are buttons and stickers, Uh. right, of Rob Sitch doing the Champagne Comedy Pose. So this is iconic. It arrived at the exact time that we decided to record the episode, really. This is actually from the Dinkum Company. It's meant to be dodgy prize music. <laughs> so, uh, the yeah, as I was saying, the, the Dinkum Company, based in Melbourne, they're brand new, uh, and they specialise, well, they will be specialising in the fun Australiana and pop culture memes. Uh, but the products will be, you know, stickers, pins, clothing, and other stuff. Uh, they are coming soon, and they are going to be giving away four of these on the Champagne Comedy Podcast. So we've got one very heavy pin. <laughs> it sounds very heavy. Yeah, and a, and a decent sticker. So these are really, really uh, rare at the moment, but they're at the moment they're exclusively to our podcast. So... What we're going to do is we're going to launch a competition and that is if you want to win one of these and we'll share a photo on Twitter and Facebook and stuff like that, you just have to do... I'll turn off the music. Go away. Now, um, you just have to take a photo of yourself doing your best or worst champagne comedy pose. So it can be a pissy little drink bottle and a, a glass or a coffee mug or whatever. Yeah, there you go. Liam's already getting ahead with that. <laughs> Is that a bourbon and coke? It's actually just Pepsi Max. Uh, hold up a some type of bottle in in your left hand and a glass in your right hand, and then if you can get a photo of it, and we'll start putting that together, and we will possibly choose the four best, and you can yeah, win and, this exclusive and prize. Be creative about it as well. Yeah, like really, really surprise us. Yeah. Do, do your champagne comedy pose, and uh, but this is exclusive only to our podcast, uh, but also Australian residences only, unfortunately. So I'm sorry for that uh, one, Stephen, I guess, who's based in the US. <laughs> so, uh, uh, um, yeah, so it's only Australian um, because it can be a bit costly to send this stuff off. So thank you very much. And if you want to follow the Dinkum Company, they're on Instagram at the moment at instagram.com. Dinkum, D-I-N-K-U-M. And so they're coming soon. So uh, stay tuned for that. We'll give you more information in future episodes as well. I've got the paper. (laughs) Daniel G and his program guide. All right, thanks, Matt. Uh, So we're looking at what's up against Season 2, Episode 4, and uh, most of these listings come from the Critical Guide to the Weekend's TV, which is your run-of-the-mill program guide plus uh, special comments from Ross Warnicke. Uh, so we'll start with uh, Channel 7. At 8.30, we've got the Darling Buds of May. Ross has put this uh, as one of his picks, saying that the British comedy melodrama series set in the 50s is nice and refreshing at the end of the working week. Then over on Channel 9 for Hey Hey It's Saturday, uh, we've got uh, quite a galaxy of stars tonight. Uh, we've got David Strassman doing a turn. Uh, Anthony Warlow, Tanya Lacey, uh, Alex Dimitriadis promoting uh, the then-new movie The Heartbreak Kid. Uh, we've got uh, Mori and Marty Fields, keeping it in the family. Um, also a performance from Peter Couples. 
and Peter Andre doing a song called Funky Junkie. <laughs> oh my god. Great song. Is, 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 is that a, a cue for us to, to do the segment on Get This that uh, Ed Cavalier could never do? Funky Junkies? <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody have a Funky Junkie story amongst all of you lot? I, I could, but it might lead into some legal issues. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the closest I've got was this absolute nutter on, on the bus once who did the end monologue from Psycho. Wow. Like, the, like not 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 going to touch that fly, mm. and all that all that sort of thing, and was doing this sort of weird sort of inward sort of a laugh, which wasn't cute like um like Jimmy Carr, but sort of unsettling like uh, like a, a, a Sybil Fawlty on crack. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that that's my that's my funky janky story. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Daniel. All right, um, and then after Hey Hey, we've got uh, a 1990 terrorist thriller starring Lewis Gossett Jr. and Dolph Lundgren called Cover Up. Uh, Dolph Lundgren plays a reporter investigating a mysterious attack on an American naval outpost. Going to Channel 10, we've got another movie, BL Striker. Burt Reynolds plays a Vietnam veteran and former homicide cop who has become a Florida private eye in this new series of movie-length mysteries. Then on SBS, um, now we're in the third week of a four-week season of uh, films by French director Francois Truffaut. Previously, we've had The 400 Blows and Shoot the Pianist. Now, Liam, you're an aficionado of French cinema. (laughs) What do you you think was the uh, third in the uh, Francois Truffaut season? Just has to cast my mind back. It's, uh, as, you can, as you can see by my background, I do have the Eiffel Tower behind me, so I do know a little bit about uh, no, it. No, it, it escapes me. It actually escapes me. Prue, Alison, Kim, Matthew, no. do you have any, any suggestions? Uh, no. You tell us and we'll let you know if we can that. All right, fair enough. That's all I remember. <laughs> all right, so it was uh, Jules and Jim from 1961. Of course. Oh, yep. that, I, thought, I was going to say that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly you were, Alison. <laughs> so uh, this is an enthralling film about two friends, one an introverted German Jew played by Oscar Werner, the other an outgoing Frenchman played by Henry Serre and their love for the same woman played by uh, Jean Moreau. So there you go. You can strike that off your list. You're, they're not going to be playing it next week, and uh, I'm, I'm going to be playing the same stupid game next uh, next episode. Looking forward to it. Guess that trufo! <laughs> <laughs> All right, and uh, now we turn to the ABC. So uh, the lead-in was uh, Birds of a Feather, and uh, it's an episode called Getting a Grip. Uh, this is the first episode of season two, so we had... Um, the Christmas special for season one and they're rolling straight into season two. Uh, Tracy and Sharon turn to their neighbour for help when their central heating breaks down. And uh, as always, um, Doreen was just being a, uh, a dirty cow. Leave it out. Oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> they actually called Doreen a dirty cow on the regular. Was that the thing about <laughs> uh, No, that's that, that's me saying that, not Rossi. <laughs> See, I, I was just going to say I was always at, in front of the TV half an hour before the show, so that's why I know that that music just I'm always thinking, oh, that's 
it's late show is almost on. So Liam, you must have just rushed in at the last yeah, minute. Yeah, we're, we're, of... we're flicking around. I know we uh, we were always hey hey fans as well, which I know was always over by then. But that was you know we were watching something on commercial TV, and you'd be watching the clock. But it, yeah, I, I mustn't have hung. It must be too boring for us. We're like, oh, what's this? <laughs> our, it's our parents' show, you know. <laughs> you mean you didn't go from hey hey to the bill to to birds of a feather to the late show? Because that was my Saturday night. You know what the funny thing is? I'm actually watching the bill at the moment from the very beginning. So I've just <laughs> I've just finished uh, episode ten of season one of the bill. Oh well, it's happening to us in lockdown. We're going. Back. <laughs> well, I'll put it this way: after watching a couple of those episodes, all I think of is Tony Martin's uh, Caution Squad. Oh. It was co- Coffee Squad, wasn't oh, it? Coffee and Squad, yeah. Have you, have you had a, a coffee, Gov? Yeah. yeah. Oh, but... <laughs> On your bike. S- Sarge, have you had a coffee? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, then the listening after the late show uh, has Ross Walkie describing it very matter-of-factly as satire and sketch comedy from Melbourne Stage Inn. Um, and uh, yeah, it is. Uh, thankfully, he puts it in a box, so he he does list it as being one of the picks for the night. Now, after you've had an hour of uh, great satire and sketch comedy, I'm sure that you're really wanting something to seek your teeth into, like a dramatized reconstruction of events surrounding the Lockerbie jumbo jet bombing. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> well, that's what you're going to get at eleven o'clock with Why Lockerbie. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. It's such weird scheduling. Um, the superb cast, or superb in uh, Ross Warnicke's size, uh, includes Timothy West, Ned Beatty, and Peter Boyle. Then the ATVI News at 12.30 and uh, overnight music video clips featuring Janet Jackson in Rage at 1 o'clock. And that's the program guide. Back to you, Matt. Oh, thank you very much, Daniel. I, I'm sure that Liam enjoyed every single word of that, and you are going to be tested at the end of the show. as we speak. Good. All right, now we might as well get into it. Season 2, Episode 4 of The Late Show, broadcast Saturday, June 26th, 1993. And the opening is a very clever one, very Tony Martin-esque with Tony uh, in the control room, and everything goes and runs smoothly as he introduces the camera people, the uh, behind-the-scenes, Tommy G, writing up uh, very topical and up-to-date jokes. On a typewriter. Yeah. <laughs> Until he decides to see what this button does and rewinds everything. I liked his comment about the technical boffins. <laughs> I recognise one of those camera guys. He's been in the skits before. There was one guy in the control room, uh, the older guy, and I'm like, I've seen you out on location. Like, he's one of those guys that was a, usually an extra in some of their skits, or he was... Did anyone else recognise him? I, I can I can say that it's it's definitely Joe Murray playing himself as the director and uh, Jim Fowler as the technical director, um, who uh, ju- just before the, the button is pushed, sort of does a no-no sort of approach. Yeah. But, uh, so they're, 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 they're definitely playing themselves. Like, it's just amazing, all of the clichés and... Uh, also, just the way that Tony Martin uh, you know, narrates this uh, section. Now, talking about that this is where the magic happens. And, yeah, I love that. Um, and uh, doing all those little asides, you know, nice shot there. Top marks. <laughs> <laughs> Great gag, Tommy. Very topical. It's yeah. just, it's... And then, then Tommy, Tommy's sort of eyebrow raise, sarcastic <laughs> eyebrow raise is, is really nice. But yeah, I, I can I can really tell that 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 Tony was in, enjoying himself putting on his thinking about carpet voice uh, <laughs> during all that. 
I'm here in the control room of the Late Show. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that, the that's way. Yeah. yeah, I do love the final joke where he's like, "Hang on, haven't I already said this?" <laughs> so after the opening titles, we have the opening remarks with Tony and Mick talking about a giant billboard in space. You know what the spooky thing is? My regular nine to five job. We're only talking about a giant billboard in space, as in it was a whole new thing. So to see this, <laughs> talking about this in 93, I'm um, going, wait a minute. So the stuff that we were reading and hearing about only a couple of weeks ago is not new. So this was a bit <laughs> of a brain winkle, really, for me. Yeah, wasn't it like Elon Musk and SpaceX were wanting to, to put up yeah. a giant billboard in space? Yeah, and then mm-hmm. they're going to stream it on YouTube. What I, what I loved about re-watching the episode was seeing Tony and Mick in that little double act together. So yeah. what, you, what you might remember was Late Show was 92, 93. In 94, Tony and Mick toured around Australia on a comedy tour, just the two of them. And my brother and I and a friend went and saw them. And just the two of them there, then on the, on stage, that, that was what they were very good at. They were very good at these one-liners. I mean, there were some classic gags in there. Who hasn't used the term lolly bags or horn bag in the last 20 years? That was, you know, one of mixed bread and butter gags. They used to use that all the time. And so to see them on stage there was like, that's oh, yes, because they were so good together. And this was pre, you know, Martin Malloy. That came about, I think, 96, something like that. Mm. So 95. Was it? Yeah. So not, yeah. 94, 94, they spent the year touring around the country, um, pretty much off the back of that segment. Yeah, so you were lucky to see them. I know one of my friends saw them uh, at university in 94, the same tour. Um, she accidentally walked into the uh, dressing room when Mick was getting changed. <laughs> Lucky, yeah. Well, you've seen it all before, obviously. Yeah, I thought, yeah, we've all seen this. Kim, I actually have a bit of memorabilia from that tour. Uh, So, 94, they were playing uh, in Bowen Hills in Brisbane at a theatre, and uh, Mick was drinking a VB on stage throughout the whole of his set. So, they do stuff together, then they do separate um, gags together. So, Mick has put his VB down on stage, and they've gone off at half time. And my brother and I have sucked to the the front and we've stolen Mick's half-drunk bottle of VB. And we we put a hanky over the top of it so it wouldn't spill and we carried it home in the car. And my dad dad was a home brewer, so we went and re-bottled it, we recapped it. And we kept it on the mantelpiece for years. Anyone would come over would say, that's Mick Malloy's half-drunk bottle of VB that we we stole from the 94 tour. And we just kept it for years and years as this little ode to Mick because we just thought he was just... The greatest, and not only do we get to see the see the gig, we actually kept a bit of the memorabilia as yeah. well for many years. A bit of his DNA on there, absolutely. Well. absolutely. <laughs> Clone Mick in the future using that. I, I saw that tour as well, except I saw it at the Adelaide Fringe early '94, and Judas was on the bill as well. So it was the three of them, and, and so they. Casey, do you remember that? Oh, Sorry, one thing, but it used to, it was Darren Casey, Judas, Lucy, Mick Malloy, and Tony Martin. There was no Darren Casey. It was just was just Mick and Tone and Jude, yeah, right. and and they were selling T-shirts. So I've still got the T-shirt, and I've still got the poster that I ripped off the wall as well. Yeah. But but I remember um, Mick and Tone. They did a song, and and they were dressed as folk singers, and they had the big kind of jumpers on, and they so they did a duet like that, and they they did different different combination of, of sketches or solo work. Um, the three of them and it was really great and I also took photos with my film camera but of course being a film camera and being in 1994 when the photos got printed you can see this tiny little figure in the distance so they're really dreadful photos (laughs) but anyway it was it was a great night now there's a 
quick remark from Mick saying that he can't wait to watch Wimbledon, mainly for women's tennis, and he has the hots of Wendy Turnbull. <laughs> some, yeah. some real blast from the past there. When they start talking about Boris Becker, I thought, I haven't thought about Boris Becker in 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Late Show podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> what, what is the reference to him being an insane German who keeps losing? Because I, I always thought he was quite successful. I don't follow tennis at all, but I always thought he was quite a successful player. And what's the insane element to him? I'd say he'll be a bad sport, maybe. I think he was just coming off the boil of his high career in the early 90s, wasn't he? I mean, yeah. He only, he only really won in the 80s, I think. Yeah. Okay. So he's probably just a bit grumpy about it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, then they start to talk about the bet. And what do I mean about the bet? I'll let the guys explain. Mick and myself had a, well, had a few too many and uh, made a bit of a bet. Uh, well, you see, I bet Mick five bucks that he wouldn't run onto the set of the Ernie and Denise show while it was going to air live, while it was going to air live, and jump up and down on their couch wearing only his Bart Simpson underpants. <laughs> yeah, this this sets off a whole uh, story arc, if you like, uh, Yeah, with Mick jumping up and down in various settings uh, yeah, in those Bart Simpson underpants. Yeah, uh, I have a, an article that uh, we posted onto the podcast page just about how cheeky Mick bears nearly all, and it just talks about how he went onto the Burt Newton show wearing the Bart Simpson underpants. They, they retired that... them, didn't they? They put those undies in, in a glass box at one point there, didn't they, in later episodes? Yeah. The other thing that happened is that somebody went onto the Late Show in Bart Simpson underwear and jumped on their set. Like mm. smaller alerts, jeez, future yeah. episodes. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it just it, like it's it, it was the, the the gift that that kept on giving. And um, yeah, as 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 you heard uh, from uh, from Mick Moore saying on his show, you know, it was just uh, it was all born out of desperation, essentially. In in you know, try, trying to fill a few minutes of a show. Well, here's the actual audio from the clip of Ernie and Denise. <laughs> I know that was more visual than anything, but it was mainly the quotes and the crowd applause with that too. The shock and Denise Drysdale's quote. And, and, and Ernie, Ernie rolling with the punches as well, I think. Yeah. I can really relate to Denise having a bit of a perv and going, oh, he's quite cute, isn't he? <laughs> now there's a couple I would have liked to have seen Mick Malloy and Ding Dong <laughs> it still happens yeah it, it can still happen you're right did you notice Dennis Walter in the background yeah yes I did yeah, yeah. yeah. I think uh, I, I haven't listened to the DVD commentary uh, on the Champagne Edition DVDs but uh, from memory I think Dennis Walter didn't want to have any part of it was wasn't uh, 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 wasn't trying to get them on on screen. 
Was he worried that it would tarnish his Carols by Candlelight profile? <laughs> quite, quite Maybe he would, have, he would have lost the job on Kino, surely, if he got involved in this. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe what I, what I need to do is is ring him up on three AW because he he does the week uh, weeknight show uh, nowadays and and ask him what, what his fond memories were of uh, of that day in mine. Do it. Do it. <laughs> Daniel, if you don't do it, one of our podcast listeners, please do it and let us know too, and say that the Champagne Comedy Podcast sent you to <laughs> call through on Dennis Walters' program. And uh, yeah, uh, it all uh, ends with uh, Mick getting uh, shoved down the stairs by a very angry Pete Smith. A cheeky article, <laughs> the cheeky pun article. What did it say in that? So in the cheeky Mick article, it, it talks about when he went on to the Bert Newton show, but. Um, it also references the fact that he uh, went on to Ernie and Denise show in the same gear, which left the host stunned. And um, it said <laughs> that they were wearing their gym jams. So <laughs> we, already, <laughs> we already know that from watching the, this segment. And then you follow that appearance with a similar run onto the set of Good Morning Australia. My God, that's Mick Malloy, Bert Newton said when the scantily clad one started running amok before inviting him back in a T-shirt. So that, that's for a later episode. But, uh, yeah. yeah, obviously I was a, a great collector of various clippings at the time and I, they, I have a copy of that. They used to make reference at the time that Mick was, you know, the, the more portly of the of the group, you know. Like they never said he was fat, but they'd make reference to the mm. fact that he was a bit larger. Looking back on it, you think he was actually quite skinny. Yeah, yeah. I was looking at that going, he's not, yeah. he's not fat at all. <laughs> he, he used to quote Denise quite cute. I also love, uh, I love how prophetically uh, Tony... Uh, says that uh, he hopes that it starts a bit of a trend in live television. Uh, certainly, <laughs> it starts a, b- a bit of a trend on the Late Show. Uh, yeah, saying that he wants to see, say, Bert Newton run on to the seven thirty report, or Ray Martin jump on the desk of Quantum, uh, wearing nothing but his lolly bags. And he he was ahead of the whole Tom Cruise thing as well. Yes. Oh, if only he had done that in his undergraduate. And now it's over to the news desk with Tommy G. And we'll just skip over the first three news bits because this is what we're really after here. And this is the episode where the iconic champagne comedy routine started. So Rob joins Tommy G at the desk. You know, during the course of every week, we turn our... (laughs) We turn our comedy flamethrower... To a, a vast range of subjects, mm. but every now and again, the razor-sharp edge of our wit results in a piece of comedy that rises above the normally excellent standard of topicality and satire and becomes truly champagne sketch comedy. <laughs> You're not pulling a piece here, are you? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like you to watch this closely. It's a topic that many shied away from. We didn't. And we resulted in champagne. (laughs) We give you. We give you the English cricket team doing badly locker room sketch. So that's pretty much it. And And really, who gives a shit about that sketch? Yeah, I don't even remember that. I just remember the quote. And the quote was something you could just quote 
<laughs> automatically I had it at the back of my ruler as well I actually wrote in felt pen the whole thing yeah. so I could look at it every day but it was that kind of thing like the two all beef patties you just kind of we just decided it all the time at school it's pretty it's iconic when you think that that has become a part of the Australian vernacular like from from that humble beginning at 11 past 10 on a random Saturday night and I don't even think they would have thought that, that is still being quoted 30 years later around around Australia yeah. And there's badges. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you want to see the entire clip, it is on YouTube, but this is the final result after that sketch is played. Yeah, standing ovation. Huge. There's something great about the audience reaction as if maybe like Rob came out beforehand and told them what he was going to do and got them really pumped up because they seem to anticipate what he's going to say before he says it and it's like when they do the standing ovation, they're all in and it just makes me think they had a bit of a rehearsal. I hope so. Mm-hmm. Oh, they definitely would have. Tony's really, really a good sport, I think. Uh, yeah, give me those. Uh, you're not taking the piss out of me, are you? <laughs> <laughs> that, that actually suggests to me that Tommy was in on it. Like I, I would, it would be hard to believe that they didn't know what was coming up or why Rob was wearing a tux. And you know, for all we know, Tommy was ashamed of his own skit and said, "We've got to lighten this up somehow. Come out and take the Mickey." Because he, he was always very good as being the fall guy. Like he was always like, "Oh, what are you, you're not really oh, you know, like he was good at that. So maybe he was in on it. Actually, that <laughs> sounds a bit more reasonable and realistic. <laughs> they, would, they would have had a complete run sheet. He would have known that, you know, not to get too technical, that, you know, I mean, you can see him sitting down. You can see him in the shot when he sits down. You see just the corner of his arm right beside Tom at the desk. Tom's not sitting there going, what's going on here? He would just plan along. Yeah. yeah. And Toby's good at that. But the other thing about the sketch is that there's that a really elaborate um, makeup of the, the knife in his back with the blood like it would have taken yeah. ages to get that sorted out with the blood looking perfect <laughs> yeah we, we we probably should mention a, a little bit about the uh uh english cricket team doing badly locker room sketch um because uh, yeah, even though that doesn't make the dvds and the uh the introduction does but yeah it's basically it's uh jason santo tony mick and um, spoiler alert, Jane as uh, English cricket players and uh, Tom and a superb fake moustache, uh, uh, both doing the, the heavy lifting as the English coach. And uh, yeah, there's a there's a you know a comedy knife in, in the back that that gets revealed when uh, when Tom t- uh, turns his back to camera and um, yeah, all, all of the England players basically being afraid of the cricket ball when he tries to hit that. Please correct me if I'm wrong, uh, especially the listeners, but wasn't Tommy? With the moustache playing Graham Gooch. Oh, he, he wasn't putting on a, uh, an English accent, I noticed. But yeah, possibly. no, none of them are. They're, it's all Australian accents. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you don't you don't need any accents when you've got champagne sketch comedy. <laughs> I, I think this is this is interesting because we've we've seen basically already, and we're we're only about ten minutes into the show. Two examples where they were going to do something, 
that failed, so they've had to come up with something to save it, right? So you've so they were going to the doorbuster sale. They couldn't do that, so they jump around in their underpants. With this one, they've written a sketch, they filmed it, they've realised it's bad. How can we save this? Oh, we'll get Robin with the champagne to make a sarcastic sort of bigging it up type speech. And and that's it. That's what you've got to do in live TV. But that is, because I think this is a cracker episode. Like if you were going to. Yeah, it is. We're going to put the late show in a museum. <laughs> this, this would be one of the, this, yeah, this would be one yeah. of the top ones. And it's, it's more, it's, yeah, it's, it's, like a, exhibition. it's a commentary you make at the end because you don't want to spoil what's coming up. But there were four iconic bits in this episode. Mm-hmm. I remember when I watched it the other day, I thought, this is probably the greatest episode of them all. Yeah. There yeah, was yeah. Four yeah. that we still talk about today, all yeah. in one in one hour episode. It's it's like the gold standard of the absolutely. Planet. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. 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 Plus a whole bunch of really really strong sort of second tier sketches as well, and in, including the ones that are coming up very soon. Yeah. yeah. Well, mm. you want to fly straight into it because we are really so far behind right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Keep going, guys. So I'll just skip over the koala joke one about the bum crack uh, because yep. that's more yep. visual. And we have Mick at the desk where he actually goes on a rant um, about the Malaysian print allegedly kidnapping his children from Australia. So, And Mick was just going on about how the media was wrong, even though it was very tongue-in-cheek. Mm. And it was just all fired up and that's when all he starts smoking from his butt, really. <laughs> I did not assume that it was from his butt, but thank you for taking me there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, his jocks did, so might as well say everything comes out of his ass. From, from memory, um, uh, Mick would always do these sort of rants uh, when he was on the, the breakfast radio show uh, on Triple M. And, uh, yeah, this is one of uh, three televisual versions that are in the series. Now we have a commercial parody, and that's where the teaser came in. Why do I feel tired and run down? Why? Because I've got a child and I work and I run a household. Oh, just family problems, um, relationships. I think it's environmental. I think it's to do with living in a big city. I think it's lifestyle. <laughs> because I'm overworked. Trying to do too much, I suppose. Oh, I'm a single mum with a daughter. Well, and, yeah, there's more. <laughs> I just like oh, that line. The, 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 the single mum with a daughter woman, everyone yeah. quoted that poor woman yeah. <laughs> because, of, because of that voice and the way she says it. It all, it, all, it all came flooding back when uh, when, yeah. when I, I heard that, that teaser. And, yeah, that, that line. I'm a single mum with a daughter. <laughs> Those lean beef ads. Yeah, and what's amazing yeah. about it was when I researched it, because everyone remembers that ad, it only went for about a, a month and it was just played forever and ever. And the according to an article in the Australian Financial Review, so this, this um, ad was um, released by the Meat and Livestock Corporation. Mm-hmm. Um, previously, there was a lot of, uh, there were lots of ads about feed the man, meat and all these kind of blokey ads. And so they wanted to expand their market to include women. Um, and when they did some market research about how what the reaction to the ad was, um, it's had an unprompted awareness um, score of 74% and a prompted awareness score of 88%, which meant that, that, that everyone was really remembering this ad. Um, and before launch, women said that spinach was the best source of dietary iron. And by early July, they were saying lean beef. So, red meat, so red meat. this is probably why I'm vegetarian because I was just like anti, <laughs> anti this livestock meat ad. But yeah, who, but, who says advertising doesn't work? 
Yeah. <laughs> they parodied, parody it so brilliantly, just saying that, yeah. oh, I'm just living my life. I'm just doing my normal stuff. And so oh, that's why I'm tired because I've got lots of things on. Yeah. <laughs> I've just given you 10 good reasons why I'm tired. And you're calling me Brian. <laughs> and it's not true because even in the real ad, they actually list all of their life, you know, that they're, yeah. <laughs> they're running around after everyone. <laughs> I'm a single mum with a daughter. The daughter. <laughs> yeah, it, it's sort of an un, unintentionally feminist ad, really, isn't it? This ad. Yeah. This is just one of uh, a few of them later on in the show. Yeah, again, sort of similar to they had the ad for the very simple VCR. Um, was it last episode or the episode oh, before? The but yeah, again, last episode. The but, rule. Uh, yeah, yeah it, it is the rule of threes, and uh, yeah, makes for a, a good running gag. Good running gag, wasn't it? Yeah. Although, although the the applause at the end sort of stepped on the very last line where they, uh, um, which uh, one of the women says, "I'm not so much tired; it's completely out of sync." Yeah, <laughs> my pedantry senses were tingling. Pedantry, <laughs> because they misspelled osteoporosis in the uh, in the ad. <laughs> oh my god! Wow! <laughs> Outrageous! Write a letter. Yeah. <laughs> dear, dear Meat and Livestock Board, 1993. <laughs> you can write a letter to Warnicky. <laughs> for, for, for all the good it will do me as well. Yeah. It's funny what you do and don't remember, Kim. I'm shocked to hear that that was only on Australian TV for a month because if you were to quote iconic ads of the 90s, you know, the, whenever the Not Happy Jans or those sort of ads, mm. you would actually quote, you know, I'm a single mum with a daughter. That's you right, would, yeah. Would, for it to be a month is amazing. It sounds like... Like maybe they did a, another version of it later on because this is an article I saw that was dated from August 20, 1993. So they may well have been uh, may well have been so successful that they decided to to release it again. Because yeah, I could have sworn it was on for longer. But the fact that so many people had that recall of the ad after such a short time just shows shows how um, effective it was. Yeah. Yeah. Those opera accents will do that to you. <laughs> <laughs> now we have a live sketch, and that is Head to Head, a current affairs show hosted by, quote, Santo, unquote. And this is all, again, about politics. And um, an Australian was hanged in – or hung? Hanged? It's definitely hanged, isn't it? Hanged. You wouldn't say hung, no. That means something else. Uh, an Australian was hanged in Malaysia while they were on death row, which has been labelled as barbaric. And then you have Malaysian foreign minister – Jason in certain makeup and Senator Gareth Evans, which Gareth is Evans. Rob, yeah, debating the situation. This is just basically a major piss take at how weak Gareth Evans was. Yeah, it goes to show. You don't think of Rob as being the great impressionist, but he did so many characters dressed up. Yeah, he was actually really good. He was good at it. Got Matt Nelson nodding their heads. You got to bob your head when you talk, Liam. You, you know, he's, he's, he's McAvaney, uh, he's Jeff Kennett. You know, he had a heap of them up his sleeve. I oh. love the Gareth Evans hair and makeup because it's sort of the beard and the hair all connect. And sort of when he turns to camera and opens his jaw, he looks exactly like a Muppet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've, I've got to say that I think that this may be the most political we've ever seen uh, the, the, the DJ get on The Late Show. Because, because it like it, it does seem seem to be implying that, yeah, Gareth Evans is basically a suck up to Malaysia, and um, you know, uh, yeah, wants to what you know, wants to massage the the Malaysian foreign minister's shoulders, and 
Well, when I was watching this sketch, it sort of seemed to me like this was almost like uh, almost like a Clark and Dawes sketch, just about. It sort of had those sort of like a few lines in it, like Santo saying to Gareth Evans, "How can you respect Malaysia's judicial system?" And uh, Robbers Gareth replying, "You could be flogged in Malaysia for saying that." Yeah, that's very just, Clark and Dawes, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Run, my leash. I've got this. <laughs> I like the bit where he's soothing him, going, we'll go and see the penguins very soon, you know. Yes. <laughs> Would you like a drink? <laughs> you know, it, it, I, can, I can imagine Clark and Dawn doing this. They, they need a third person to do it, but, um, but they, I'm sure they would have done it brilliantly as well. And, and without any makeup either. Yes. The makeup's funny, so... Okay. The makeup is is a bit. It need, needs a bit more work, maybe the makeup. But yeah, <laughs> it is now time for another musical parody, and that is a fan favorite. Well, all of them are fan favorites, but this is a really, really strong one. Can you guess what it is? Something to do with Melbourne. We've just mm. run out of Melbourne cliches. <laughs> I was struck by how good a singer it is. Does anyone know who's singing it? It's actually a catchy, great song on its own, and I was like, oh, what a great... Um, but they've used that singer in the past in some other songs too. Mm. Like uh, maybe contributing to any of the five in a row, five more in a row songs. I think they mention it on the DVD commentary, and again, I didn't look it up or anything, but I think they mentioned that he he was also the singer of the, um, the footy Channel show 9 song. footy yeah, show song, yeah, 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 more yeah, than yes. a game. They used right. him for a lot. Yeah. They were parroting Things of Stone and Wood, Happy Birthday, Helen, which was a huge hit at the time. It was number nine on the charts. Well, really, like, you know, like considering that uh, both the original and the parody both start uh, by saying, you know, how can I forget that day when we walked when we walked along the Yarra? Of course, you would then go through everything in the Melbourne Street Directory, I think. Yeah, well, everyone knows the list. I do have it written up, but I'm not going to repeat it. It's just too long. Have you ever – I've never sung the original in my head since. Every, every mm. time I hear it, every time on the radio, I always cut into no more Melbourne cliches every time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, same. I, I was watching the music video um, or the film clip, rather, of um, Happy Birthday Helen last night just in preparation for this. And and really, the only time they actually mention a Melbourne cliche is is in that first line of walking along the Yarra. But the recreation of of the video by the Late Show is pretty accurate. In fact, I reckon that the bit where they're performing in front of that sort of blue roller door, I reckon it's the same blue roller door as they actually use in the real film clip. So so go over to YouTube and check that out. But the in the original, there's a lot of scenes that they don't recreate. So like they're in a they're in a kind of trendy inner city Melbourne house, and they're playing the band are playing. They don't recreate that so much. But they but there are a few shots of um of like highway signs in the original, and and they are kind of running around outside sort of St Kilda-ish type places. So you know they they do a pretty good job I think of recreating it. They obviously had yeah. a good relationship with things of stone and wood. You might remember years later when the guys were doing the panel, and I can remember a specific episode of the panel when they had the head of Red Cross Australia on, and it was this girl called Helen, 
and then and then someone dropped in. We know you're Helen from Happy Birthday, Helen, and, <laughs> and that's and they you know so they told all of Australia, and that was referenced to it back then. That was years after they were on the Late Show, but the guys who were from the Late Show on the panel that night made reference to it. One hundred percent. And guess who I got? Uh, what have you done, Matt? I tracked yeah. down the lead singer of Things in Stone and Wood, and also awesome. the oh. writer of the song, Greg Arnold who wrote Happy Birthday, Helen, and he had this exclusive chat with us just for the podcast. What is the history of the band? How far does it go back? Well, we, we recently uh, did our 30-year anniversary tour, which we, we didn't get to perform the last show due to COVID. But So we formed in 1989 in Melbourne, and, um, yeah, things sort of uh, happened for, that. For, for a while. They were sort of playing around Melbourne a lot, just doing sort of corner of the pub shows and things and then it just kept sort of growing from there and then after a while uh, James Black our producer and manager got involved with the band and he sort of steered us through the perilous waters of record deals and touring and all that so uh, and um, since we're touring really heavily for about five years I guess five to I suppose particularly from 92 to 96 and um, then the band's been on and off playing together here and there ever since then. The song Happy Birthday, Helen, can you explain to our listening audience what the whole song is all about? Well, it really was a, a birthday present for my wife, Helen. You know, we'd, um, uh, we'd just come back from a sort of hippie trip around India and things and we got to back to Australia and it was all kind of freaking us out a bit and uh, just at that point uh, we... Uh, We'd been out to dinner uh, the night before and I just sort of uh, catalogued all our memories that we would have had or, you know, kind of weird memories and things over the three years we'd been together and uh, wrote them in a song for Helen and it truly was a a birthday present. And It was never going to be a song for the band or anything. It was just, I think, a couple of months later maybe I showed the song to Mikey from Things of Stonewood and he said, "Yeah, you know, that's a a pretty cool song. We should uh, do that in the band. So... uh, Good decision, Mikey. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful piece of poetry. Like, looking at the lyrics, it's very, very deep. And oh, thank you. The song itself came out around November 1992 and then ended up in the top ten arias uh, in February ninety three. Now, the Late Show didn't really make any parody of it until June, July of 1993. What was your first response when you saw the Late Show do your song? Well, well, we got a, a warning, actually, from Frente's manager that, you know, <laughs> it was a, um, you know, I was so nervous about it. I mean, I was really nervous. It was a very personal song, so I was really nervous about it. So we knew what time it was going to be on, and the band sort of all watched it all together and I, I you know I was just too horrified to watch <laughs> and uh the next day I sort of spoke to them saying you know God, what was it like and they go actually it's uh it's pretty funny <laughs> so I I got to say and I, I agree it was it was it was pretty funny so I, I you know we really enjoy, we really enjoyed it and uh, you know I always think it was the, the in some ways I always felt like it was the clip they picked up on a funny idea of the clip of us you know, running around Melbourne and, uh, you know, really targeted on the humour of that. So uh, I loved it. I still absolutely love it. I love the attention to details. It's funny, as a band member, you sort of uh, look at the other guys and go, oh, they really got Justin there. Oh, they really got Tony and Mikey there. And forget the whole time that they actually did a superb job of 
mocking me. I was just too busy laughing at the other guys to notice how funny I was. You know. Your original music clip, who directed that and how did the idea of the clip come across? Oh, this guy called Paul Elliott is incredible uh, filmmaker. He always made these really great, it just had great, beautiful colours always in his film clips. So I particularly loved his film clip, the song Single Perfect Raindrop. But he, um, he, he, he uh, you know, a person from Sydney or, you know, they they got that thing about Melbourne and they re- he really got into that. He liked getting those features that he recognised as very Melbourneian features. And we were, we were I, mean, I remember one review saying, this Melbourne band, in brackets, this very Melbourne band, you know, has just released a new thing. So, so we probably didn't realise how Melbourne we were, but uh, I think the clip really locked that in. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> and it was good. And certainly the, the parody about that, that was... All said and done, was, but you know it was. A, oh, it's sort of it's a great, great looking clip. He, he made this, you know, very. It's funny people see it now and they go, "Whoa, so nineties." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we were out on tour when it came out. You know, it was uh, was still in that uh, zone, and we were. You know, it's it's funny area that area of uh, the parody and things like that. But uh, no, we never. We, we had no bad feeling about it whatsoever. It was really a fun, happy thing for us. I, you know, I just thought it was cake. And the, the, the Captain Cook's Cabin, Moorabbin gag, I, you know, I love it. It's a ripper. When you heard those lyrics and Rob Sitch uh, donning uh, the wig to mimic you, was it a decent impression, you thought? or I think he did a pretty good job, but, you know, more than anything, I think, you know, he, he got the thumbs up for... for from Helen. Helen said, he's doing a pretty good, he's not doing a bad job there of a Greg impersonation. And, uh, well, and she actually went on the panel and uh, was interviewed in her role for the Red Cross on the pa- panel one uh, evening and was she speaking with, with Rob Sitch about it. And apparently he said, well, you know, they, they took my, my EP to learn the song and make a thing and they never go back. I want my EP back. So, you know, I hope somehow Rob Sitch has got his happy birthday Helen EP back. <laughs> when you uh, do perform the song in concerts, and I know it's, you had like about 29, nearly 30 years worth of people saying the lyrics to... Um, out of Melbourne cliches or have you slipped in the odd lyric a little bit different from the original at all to pay homage or just to acknowledge? You know, that's a pretty good idea. I think I should. There you go. There's, <laughs> there's your, your million-dollar idea from today. I should do a version of that because I, I really don't know. Now we haven't... It's a it's a funny one, that one. So I, I've never never changed or adjusted the uh, the lyrics to that one. Primarily because, you know, when we sing it, it's really deeply personal song and I think that's the um, thing about it because it's in this sort of fast folk rockin' setting, I you know for some reason I always get that feeling when we're playing the song, I get a big feeling from the song and you get a big feeling back from the crowd so it's really nice, the second we started playing that song at gigs you could just feel it going whoa there's something about the way people respond to this song you know, they, they get it and um, it was a, a big feeling. So, you know, we still get that today whenever we, we play Happy Birthday, Helen. It's a, we get a lot of love. It's, it's great. You're a great sport. So you, you take it with pride and it's just like, yeah, it happened and, um, yeah, you, you cherish that. Well, I do. I, you know, I think it was a, a as I know I, I said earlier, but I, I think we did get their best joke in this series of the parody series with the Captain Cook Cabin's Moravan moment. So, you know, I just read that. that is, there's some gold right there.
it's really interesting hearing these uh, rights of reply and sort of yeah, finding out what the what the subject of the parodies really think. Yeah, well, thank you, Greg Arnold. I really appreciate it that he took his time to do that because I recorded that earlier in the week and yeah, very more than happy to talk about it all. So uh, make sure you like Things of Stone and Wood on Facebook because eventually once this uh, COVID crap is over, they're touring again. They missed out on the 30th anniversary tour because of this stuff. So he's itching the tour and he will take our word and do a performance and squeeze in Melbourne cliches. In so we should. Yeah. That'd be great. <laughs> All right. Next one is a commercial again, and that's the second parody for the Lean Beef commercial. And that's a male version this time, which is basically... Them going on, no, we're fine, we're all good. I feel great. Yeah, yeah, we're our blokey stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and going through the list of stuff that they they want to do when they feel like going out. Now, some of us are, are currently in lockdown, and doesn't this <laughs> just seem like a a, a dream, like a, a, a dream night out? Starting with a job and then dropping into Dave's, having a few beers, kicking the footy around. Helping Robbo with his car, maybe build a barbecue, then grab a counter tea at the pub on the way to the Bucks party. After that, play poker all night before going fishing at the crack of dawn. Big night. That is a top night. I don't think you could do all that within a five-kilometre radius. (laughs) (laughs) It depends which five-kilometre radius you're in, I suppose. And now it's time for Judith to interact with the audience. (laughs) <laughs> to talk about it's a lead up to all about sexual harassment <laughs> out of all things but i did enjoy this interaction that judith had with a certain person in the audience hello we're looking very no i'm actually here and you're waving <laughs> off to some magical thing over there now that's an interesting outfit but we won't touch on that you're looking very indian but now what's your name jody jody and jody what do you do I work at an Indian store. <laughs> she was referring to the clothing. There was a style, there was a pattern. It shows, it shows Judith's strength with, with live interaction. She was very good, very quick. Yeah. At first I thought it was a bit of a filler just to set up what was coming next, but she actually was very good at it. Like, you never know what she was going to do. and She was so sarcastic all the time, which was, you know, either, mm. we either loved that or you hated that about her. And I know a lot of my friends weren't massive judith lucy fans i know when she joined in season two and although i love her now we were like oh there's jane there's only one jane kennedy we don't need another girl on this show and judith came in with this very sharp wit and sharp tongue and, yeah. and she's just so good at it she was excellent when she was live we we skipped the the brilliant first line which is which follows immediately from the the men's iron ad which is i just don't know which one of those guys i want to date first yeah. <laughs> which is a, a, a classic classic judith line but but also this is one of the sketches which really stayed with me for for forever really you know i i was 15 when i watched this you know you got to deal with 15 shitty 15 year old shitty boys and and this is the perfect antidote to that when you're a 15 year old girl and she she remains my hero to this day judith lucy this is a great sketch can't wait to talk about it properly that's all about uh illustrating the fact that sexual harassment is not okay obviously so she grabs mick to illustrate a few points so, uh, but... in, a, in, in a blouse and skirt. A lovely one at that, yes. Oh, what a cheap Yes. Uncomfortable <laughs> in drag. <laughs> yeah. But, but le- leaving mixed raw sexuality aside. <laughs> I, I love the fact that they're, uh, they're talking about uh, mixed top 
is <laughs> cleavage. So it's about oh, bus- yeah. bad boozy day. Yeah. <laughs> and the cameraman. The cutaway. The cutaway is the only part that makes it to the bear stop. None of the, uh, none of the other salient points about yeah. Uh, yeah, women behaving like men do in the workplace. Yeah, there's basically a bit where the the camera crew just zoom right in on on the breast area, and the, and they show it on the big screen behind, and the audience just starts really laughing at it, and then then we the home viewer actually see what they're laughing at, and and Mick reacts brilliantly, and then Judith says something like, um, "There's a touch of Benny Hill in the camera crew there," <laughs> which is which is a great line. But, but yeah, the, the whole sketch is basically about, you know, if, if you sort of turn the tables and you get a man dressed up a, a, in a dress as a woman, you know, how, how do people react to them? And, you know, it, it's just yeah. a really good takedown, I think, of kind of office politics, really, and, and sexual harassment in a, in a typical office. Mm. So it, it's a, it, a bit, but it's sort of, it's wider than that. I mean, as I say, as a 15 as year old girl, I totally recognised what was going on in this sketch, and I'd never worked in an office, of course. So it, it's great. It's a really good takedown. Oh, did you notice that there was a bit more flirting going on between Mick and Judith? Oh, yes. How could you not? Here's a bit more evidence. Look, can I give you a bit of advice? Can I give you a tip as a sister? Absolutely. (laughs) Well, uh, I've been thinking about it and I think I've worked out what your problem is. Answer me these questions, these simple questions. Do you have breasts? Yeah. See, I thought you did. (laughs) Do you have female genitalia? You've got me again. Well, then you're just begging for it, you troll. The Bar Simpson joke. Oh no, I like the outfit. I'm right, confused. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> well, wild combination of uh, like insult and also mansplaining yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have we noticed how much Mick's voice has changed in the last 30 years his oh vo- yeah his voice now on radio is you know it's 30 years older it's a lot deeper a lot huskier um I, I didn't even think of it at the time but yeah his voice has changed a lot and it is time for shit scared to return oriental style what an amazing shit scared and I distinctly remember, like, watching this show. I might have watched it with friends. I can't remember. But I was starting to get hysterical at this point. Like, I remember <laughs> fucking losing my shit. And so when the end of Shit Scared happens, it's like there's – I got to the point where there was just no laughter coming out. It was just, <gasps> you know. <laughs> <laughs> It was a very strong shit scared. Yeah. 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 So it was, that, that was one of the segments that we'd always recreate in school. Like it was oh, it was one yeah. of the ones you, you'd do on the Monday and someone would whack a helmet on. Like it was actually one of the most recreated. Did you so you had to raid your, your mum's stash of new ideas and Absolutely. make sure that Sophie for Micah was, wasn't there. <laughs> Did you end up burning copper art into your arms? Well, it's actually an amazing shit scared. It's like a three-act play or something. Like they start off with the karate and this ridiculous, like, expert in karate steps in as Mick and does these huge kicks. I love that. Yeah. Then, then they cut to the garage and this magic happens in the garage where he's trying to the Sophie for Micah. And then he decides to burn brands into his forearm. <laughs> into his forearms. <laughs> yeah. 
And I just love the water, water. And then he gets the, the boiling urn. <laughs> His face, it just, you just can't stop laughing when you see Rob's expression when he has that water on his arms well the bit i like from that uh, burning the, the symbol into the forearm is uh that that little karate pose that mick does uh just uh when things are going to crap like 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 he, he has to be prepared but right matt you got to go back to the that's sedimentary <laughs> <laughs> this hasn't been blessed by the dojo. <laughs> I, I do love though the sound effect of when um, he's meant to break the plank of wood over uh, yes. <laughs> Rob's back. Or no, sorry, over the thing. What does he do? He got you. Sorry, yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a very hefty whack yeah. sound effect. Because mm. like, if you took the sound effect away and just watched it, it's so like obvious that the plank just stops in front of his face <laughs> you get sucked into thinking oh now also uh, there were there were a couple of references um one of which we've already seen and one of which we will see in the future so uh it's the second uh reference to life's little instruction book yes mm-hmm. after uh, after judith lucy um uh, yes yes stopping up the, the gag there and also uh, a reference to karaoke, and I'm pretty sure it's the same karaoke uh, place. It's sort of got like mirrored tiles at the back of it, and we we, we get to see uh, karaoke being performed uh, later on in the series. Uh, I won't spoil it for you, but it was like it was just amazing seeing Rob there doing uh, Daydream Believer in a very low key as uh, a pregnant woman walks past. Um... <laughs> she was smoking. And I cannot, <laughs> I watch that and I'm like, I can't figure out if that was part of the joke or if that was legit because it looks legit and I'm like, far out, 1993, you are smacking me in the face right now. <laughs> was about eight months pregnant and she was walking past smoking a dart. <laughs> it wasn't really a thing, though, to not smoke during pregnancy at that point, though, was it? It could have been. Yeah. <laughs> I had maybe, no idea. Maybe, I just had yeah. to watch it then. I, I didn't notice. I was too busy looking. Oh, at it. freaked me out. Wow. And now I'm maybe that was the single hmm. man with the daughter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You definitely need some iron. <laughs> can you get iron from cigarettes? I, I don't know. <laughs> I you can it. probably get heaps from cigarettes, but iron probably won't be one of them. The, um, location bingo. The that shit scared was filmed down at Blessington Street Gardens in St Kilda. So you two can go down there with your uh, crash mat. Just before the finale is that that great line talking about um, uh, Robin Mick working on the movie Proof uh, and saying that uh, Hugo Weaving's character was not originally blind and Tony just saying, Mick? (laughs) 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 Yes, Mick Mick blinded him, but it wasn't his fault. He was wrongly accused. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I I must admit the, the, the finale to all of this is sort of, it's a little bit pissy. It's Rob attempting to do the jumping backwards onto a building scene, which means jumping off something and then reversing the footage. And I, I, I did quite like the line, which comes as soon as you hear the uh, the shit scared music, uh, which, uh, as we've heard before, it's uh, called Hit and Run, and it's by Ralph Dolomore. Get it on Spotify. But also and, the uh, ending with the callback to the getting, like... <laughs> Getting put the I can't even say the from the urn again coming back that is where yeah. I'm losing my mind. Yeah. 
Rob's saying that uh, whenever he hears that music, he gets a little worried. Not shit scared, but worried. And, uh, yeah, of course, uh, it ends with uh, Rob crashing through the, um, what was it, the pagoda, the thing of the sacred cauldron. And gets cover up, burnt on his ass. Yeah. And also, uh, again, this is from the DVD commentary, um, a bit of uh, real-life uh, burning to Rob's ass because uh, there was some sort of a special sort of a liquid that made that smoke that's yeah. on 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 Rob's ass. And then when Mick added the water, it basically made the, the special liquid soak through and, yeah, caused burns. Ooh, Ooh. nasty. So, so yeah, Rob, Rob is... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Rob is really suffering for his art there. His copper art. <laughs> <laughs> we'll move on to the live commercial, and that is the curly whirly with elegant hair. Yeah, and, and it's it's sort of weird uh, seeing this. It's it's a live sketch mm. uh, with uh, with Tony doing uh, his best uh, again, getting to do his thinking about carpet style voiceover. <laughs> yeah, it's a dramatic look. He'll notice, and I have here. The uh, <laughs> apparatus. So um, I had this lying yeah. around, and I don't know why I have it because I don't really remember using it. But it's a basically a loop, um, and it's called a scunchy topsy tail. The brand scunchy. There's various other imitations. I'm not sure what which is the official one, uh, but they call it's it. Not, a, it's not one of those far eastern flimsy. <laughs> <laughs> it most probably is. I think it was probably one from one of those two dollar stores. But it's, uh, if you can see the back of my head here, I've, I've done the uh, the ponytail kind of twisting. Oh, that, um, that is very impressive. Wow. So it's, yeah. Oh. You, if you look it up online, look up Popsy Tail, Ponytail, you'll see exactly what, what you can do with this um, apparatus. But you basically do a ponytail, stick this in your hair, and you flip it over. You pull your, pull the end of the ponytail through, and it makes a, a kind of elegant look. Um and there's various YouTube videos of people just describing what you can do with this this thing, but unfortunately, none of them involve steak knives, which is a bit disappointing. Um, yeah, I'm, 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 yeah. I'm just glad that uh, your your hair didn't sort of spring out in this sort of weird sort of frenzy like it does on the Late Show. No, that's, that's yeah, or, or the kind of brunette Annie look that the little girl has got there, yes. which is which is an amazing wig. Yeah, <laughs> a very very good job of uh, demonstrating um, how that looks. Um, but yeah, words for this sketch it is beyond hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say, and I think that every listener to this podcast, all three of them, should go. <laughs> Why <laughs> source this material? Because it is seriously the funniest mm. collection of comedy wigs in the history of the world. The, the fact that Jane just it just kind of springs up when she just presses a button or something and her hair just explodes. <laughs> it's really hilarious. Well, I think I think what, what what does it for me is is the expressions on Judith Lucy's face when she when she's she's putting the the bow on on the kid who's got similar springing out hair and sort of looks at her and looks at the camera and just has on this absolutely weird sort of yeah like, mouth grin kind on, of like, on her yeah. face yeah. <laughs> You can actually buy it at Big W. Just minor plug there. How, how much is it, Kim? How much? Well, I, I, I'll tell you, Alison. Um, it's it's nine ninety five, but you get a junior version. So I don't know what that does. 
You also yeah. get three elastics, non-damage elastics, so you can do a ponytail. <laughs> and, uh, wow! Yeah. Ridiculous tool that is going to pull everything out of me. Can I give you hey. elastics? You're okay. suffering for your art, Kim. <laughs> I'm dying. I'm actually dying. Oh, jeez. Oh, Money well spent, that, isn't it? Well, next, when lockdown's over, this is what I'm going to wear my first uh, dinner date out. <laughs> You're not going for the bedoying. Yeah, could, could do. That's what you do. You turn up to a restaurant and then when they give you the knife and fork, it's yeah, like, I've that's got all right. I've got... <laughs> I, I hope that um, Jane and Judith wrote this together and just wet their pants laughing at the whole concept. Like, watch the original ad and then just went, oh, let's just put some steak knives in there. <laughs> How fucking ridiculous is this hairstyle? I, I, I did notice that, that Jane was, was keeping her head very, very still, uh, probably uh, trying to make sure that those steak knives don't fall out. Yeah. Mm. Not wanting a lobotomy. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, that does lead into commercial crime stoppers, which had been taking a break for a while. And I, I just got to play this one bit of audio grab because it's the way that Santa reacts. The bedazzler. The bedazzler. <laughs> Santa was so proud of that. <laughs> but yeah, they're talking about crappy dental ads again. And uh, this product is all about the massager, the foot massager, so carved from natural wood. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like the onyx, genuine onyx, natural, <laughs> natural wood. wood the onyx. <laughs> but it's more or less the Rolly massage type thing and it's the sounds that people make when using it. Watch these expressions of sheer delight. <laughs> <laughs> all over again what? yeah <laughs> i had so much fun with that one i just decided to do it again it sounds even more filthy without the visual, correct, doesn't it? <laughs> so, yeah, um, um, Rick, and, Rick and Sam have spliced themselves into the testimonials and then finished it off with, yeah, it's some sort of a pornographic actor uh, in the throes of passion spliced in at the end. Uh, I mean, uh, I, mean I, I, I don't know what porn star that is. Uh, Liam, you're an aficionado of pornography. You know, <laughs> didn't recognise no, 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 him. Kidding, kidding, Liam, kidding. Friend of the show, I, I'm sure. <laughs> um, well, look. If if anybody out there knows who who it was and and what and what movie it's uh, from and uh, where I can get the VHS copy, um, yeah, just, uh, get in contact. For research and no, evidence. No, no, yeah. no, no. Yeah, no, no questions asked. Yeah. For for review and criticism only. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so the next product that we're talking about the spray on product hair. Is it is is it called hair today? Just to to make that stupid pun here today here, here today gone tomorrow i'd say so is that, is that what it's called mm. yeah well, we'll go with that now can i just can i just ask the gentleman on on this panel whether you would ever be tempted by the hair today product should should you get to the point where you 
You know, I, I'm being kind here. Okay, okay. So you're you're fessing yes, up yes, here. I'm, to... sure, I'm showing my bald spot towards. Bit the of a ball patch there. Okay. Yes. Well, do you reckon you'd you'd give it a go, Daniel? Uh, it depends on whether I'd be able to uh, finish the job within the 2K limit. Yes. <laughs> yes. Don't, don't forget, um, a couple of years ago, Richard Reed, when he was in the jungle for I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here, said that Carl Stepanova uses that product. He <laughs> came in and said Carl uses that hair today. And so does Donald Trump. And uh, Rudy Giuliani. When oh, he was sweating yes, at that press conference yeah. and he had all that stuff trickling down his face. But, but there, there's also a version for women, like it, for women who dye their hair, um, where, when it when it starts to grow out, you can just spray a bit on the roots and and you'll get the colour back. I will say I love the voiceover uh, who was selling this stuff. Take a look, a close look. Go ahead, touch it. You'll swear you've grown a head full of hair instantly. <laughs> Go ahead, touch it. <laughs> Hilarious. You know, they have to do the most ridiculous jobs, but they, in deep down inside, they're funny about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I will say, though, that uh, in regards to Daniel's two-can limit reference, that this is what it was yeah, all about. Yeah, go on, play it. That's, that's it, yeah. I, I was straight up pitching yeah, it. Yeah, because it's on, more... Play it. All right. I, I think I've worked out what the problem is. Can we have a look at it again? Yeah, see, the problem is, yeah, see, the um, toucan limit. There's a toucan limit. He couldn't limit, finish the job. Yeah. I reckon he probably would have looked, looked a lot better. Toucan bit. limit. <laughs> <laughs> probably would have looked better with a bit of cladding, Nick, with a bit of cladding. A bit of cladding? <laughs> we could go on like this forever. We could, but no. Vic was so proud of that joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't forget, there's there's also the finishing shield that you have to <laughs> spray on. Yeah. It's not just it's not just the the hair today. You've got to put the finishing shield on top, which is the top coat yeah. to protect it. I assume. Yeah. yeah. If you want to go swimming, <laughs> otherwise you can have an Exxon Valdez disaster. Well, yeah. exactly. <laughs> or, or you'll find people taking your fingerprints down the police station. That was using hair today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's I, I really enjoy that bad joke with the, <laughs> the, the fingerprints. Yeah. <laughs> now it's time for a toilet break, and it is oh, one of the most, yeah, well, you know, I'll just play it. Hippie the bell ringer playing the Lady of Spain. But I yeah. wasn't sure whether to play that one or this one. <laughs> You're all popping to it. <laughs> Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Don't you just love like throughout Piffy's performance? You you occasionally see a shot of Bernard looking absolutely enchanted by Piffy. Oh. He just he just adores him, doesn't oh, he? I love him. It's, yeah. it's you know that that segment rounds out the. And now that we've all aired them, I can say that why I think that this is the most iconic episode of the Late Show of all time. The top four in my mind most repeated and requested things. Mick and his undies on Ernie and Denise, champagne comedy, no more Melbourne cliches, and Piffy the Bell Ringer are four just legendary skits from the Late Show history. And when I realised they were all in the one episode, I was blown away going, Mm. could there be a better episode to represent Mm. the the show? I don't think there is. I think this is probably the best episode they've ever done. Going into the museum. Straight right there. Yeah, I do have a spoiler alert here, and I have a champagne comedy podcast exclusive. 
Do tell, Matt. A certain someone will be in a future episode reviewing <gasps> as well. Oh, this will be interesting. I will play a snippet for you. <laughs> yeah, I got Piffy the Bell Ringer. So he will be joining us in the next episode because of his appearance in the next episode. <laughs> he will be oh, a guest I can't reviewer. wait. Anyone with so exciting. Anyone with kids would know that uh, there was a period there when my two daughters were younger and we bought them a set of bells. And, and it was just a normal set of bells exactly like that that you buy from Toy World. Yeah. And I'd, get, I'd line them up on the bench in the kitchen and my, my daughters would play these bells, just ding-a-ling-ling. And I used to call them Piffy for years. I'd say, come on, Piffy, play your bells. <laughs> they had no idea why I was calling them Piffy. But I'd always, every time they played the bells, I'm like, do it again, Piffy, do it again. And they didn't know why they'd give me dirty weird looks. Like, it's not Piffy, Dad. You are today. You're my Piffy. Just keep playing. Those bells. Well, here is Bernard's result, his judgment on Piffy. He's subjective to the performance of one so attractive and so young. You really have to close your eyes and say he's only little, don't get carried away, Bernard. He's against ballerinas and singers and musicians and all kinds of grown ups. But you're damned good anyway, you see. Okay. 40, young man, you're 40. I'm 40. Piffy popped up a while ago, uh, a decade or two later, he popped up on a Where Are They Now? Does anyone remember seeing him? He was, he was a grown man. Does anyone remember seeing him later on in life when he came back? And I know that he's done a he did a web series for a little while as well back in the early days of YouTube. Yeah, right. Yeah, so he's done the rounds, and then he ended up owning a nightclub or a restaurant and bar, I should say, on the Gold Coast. Did he do the bell ringing act uh, at at the nightclub and bar? <laughs> this is the dance track. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I have to say, Piffy is rock solid at those bells, isn't he? I mean, it's that good. is that is it's a it's a beautifully, perfectly rehearsed and performed act. Yeah. Whatever, whatever you think of the act, he he does it perfectly, and you know he absolutely deserves the forty points from Bernard. And the beautiful flourish at the end when he does it, yes, gorgeous sort of. What a performer oh. for someone for someone so young and so attractive. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was I was noticing quite a lot of fancy footwork uh, um, underneath the table as well, going from one end of the uh, bells to yeah. the other. Yeah. So Energy. Like he's, he's certainly got a lot of show business in him uh, uh, doing this uh, this number. I reckon he's eaten a lot of iron as well to, to be able to do that performance. <laughs> from the bells themselves. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so with that 40-point winning performance, uh, Pippi storms into the lead. Uh, in first place with Lady of Spain. Second place on 20 points, we've got the Spangles from Episode 2. Third place with 15 points, David Ty from Episode 1. And uh, last, uh, fourth on 10 points, is uh, Crystal Krull with her uh, valiant effort from Episode 3. Tommy G with a news update at the desk. Yeah. Doing his own rendition of the bells. <laughs> you know, and then he gets taken away in white coats. Yeah, the the first time in eight years of sketch comedy that they've used the men in the white coats to end a sketch. So, (laughs) well done, everyone. (laughs) All right. The next segment is uh, Tony reading letters, really. And um, this one is from Simon Morley. I've really researched this letter. So, in other words, (laughs) I hit pause on my VHS tape. And so while Tony goes into a direct, you know, description of it. The letter actually says Simon Morley ends up being one of um, their mates anyway, too, of him and Mick. Yeah, part of that crew, uh, what do you call it? Puppetry of the penis type 
thing. Well, yeah, and and even even before then, uh, he was a, a comedy promoter as well. Basically, it was in the late nineties that he um, found a second wind, as it were, uh, as it were, with the uh, Janus Wall Origami. Yeah. Well, this letter, I believe, is in Tony's handwriting. And it says, Dear Late Show team, welcome back. Just a, a note to say hello. I'm watching your new series from hospital following an unexpected collision with, yes, you guessed it, a Volvo driver. And <laughs> so, so if Tony reads out pretty much the letter nearly word for word, except for the last part, P.S., when is shit scared coming back? <laughs> and so there plays the clip of Tony experiencing a flat tyre in the car wash, which is on the Best Bits DVD. And that's where he calls out the RACV. Yeah, great, great concept. And, uh, yeah, um, yeah, must have been uh, quite interesting trying to get uh, all the shots set up. And, uh, yeah, having to do it while uh, mid-cycle. And I love the way he says, it's still Logie in the mail for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well deserved. <laughs> uh, yeah, the silver Logie in the mail for that man, that's Michael Hirsch. Oh. Playing, playing the RACV man, very very well framed in that you can't see his face. It's sort of obscured by the the, the car wash. Now Jane reads out the next letter from Lee Russo or Russo. A lot of it was blurred out. To the late show, I've been to a dermatologist and tried all sorts of antibiotics for many years. These <laughs> helped, but did not cure. Every time Mum buys one of these Kellogg's variety packs, we kids always fight over who gets the Cocoa Pops. Is there a way of solving this dispute? I hope you can help me as I'm becoming more depressed. <laughs> so, well, I don't know what this dermatologist and antibiotics got to do with Kellogg's Cocoa Pops. So, but the solution was the variety pack that has only Cocoa Pops, which is basically a box, really, of Cocoa Pops. <laughs> yeah, there was always that pleasure going into a roadside in a motel and getting these little boxes in there and then you, you have to open it up and you, you break open the little pack inside and you can put the milk in and eat it straight out of the carton. That was the... That was I the heard I am. I heard a radio station talking about the, the those boxes last year, and you I mean, you can't get them anymore. You, yeah, you, it's all they're, they're all yeah, gone. They're, yeah, they're, they're wow. in individual sachets now. It's little packets now, but you ah. can't get the cardboard boxes. And they did a whole segment on the radio about these, um, you know, these boxes that they no longer can get. And, oh, so I've got to play this little bit too because Mick was a bit cheeky. Brilliant, very sensible, uh, Jay. The simple ideas are often the best. Oh, yeah. How true it is. <laughs> How true it is. But Tony has a letter, and that is addressed to Mick. And it says, Dear Mick, and this looks like Mick Malloy's actual handwriting. Dear Mick, being a drinker yourself, I'm sure you can help me out on this one. How do you stop people from pinching your bar stool when you get up to go to water the horses? <laughs> In desperation, David Lee. Now, that, gra- that bit itself, water the horses, I always use that. That was one of the quotes that I used later on, go, i got to go water the horses. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it, it's an expression I've never heard of uh, until the late show. It's a very sort of Barry Humphreys type Australiana yep. expression, isn't it, water the horses? You can, you can imagine Les Patterson or someone like that saying it. Yeah, I, I, could, I, I could hear it in that draw, yeah. Yeah. All right, and but the solution was the famous mix bar stool pants. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. I know a location in this sketch actually. The the PJ Cannon shop that was on Bridge Road in Richmond, and I knew that because I went to Bridge Road in the early nineties at some point. I went, oh my god, it's the PJ Cannon shop from <laughs> from mix bar stool pants. Um, so so it, I don't think it's there anymore that shop, but it 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 was on Bridge Road. Is, is the nearby pub still there? 
Well, yeah, I never quite worked out where the pub was, but I assume it's it's one of those pubs along that stretch. The next bit is another commercial. This is the third instalment of the Lean Beef parody version, uh, and it's all about the dog. Yeah, yeah. Silly. So, it's, it's sort of uh, like the, the, the VCR yeah. ad parodies from the last episode. Like, sort of the, the third one in the series is... <coughs> sorry. Uh, the third one in the series is sort of uh, taking things to really silly extremes. Especially when the final dog was Santo. Now I've got to go eat my own vomit. Yeah. <laughs> Time for Graham and the Colonel, everyone's favourite sparring partners. Graham and the Colonel invite Piffy to come on the show. Oh, how about that? So, <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be good if that happened? Yeah, they did start with... Yeah, and mixing the thermos in with the bells, which was a nice touch. Yeah. <laughs> But they end up talking about cricket. England are losing. And, yeah, this is where they... It was more or less a visual joke. <laughs> a bit of a setup towards it about Gladstone Smalls. Yeah, with the shoulders. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know cricket, let alone English cricket. So that oh, he, had, he had no right neck. Over the head. He was famous for having no neck. And he was Gladstone Smalls was one of the most impersonated crickets in the schoolyard, you know, because he had no neck. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So it was pretty much accurate, that joke. But Craig McDermott has a twisted bow, but I'll let the Graham and the Colonel talk about it. Craig McDermott is on his way back to Australia with a twisted bow. Twisted bow, that's very painful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember that altercation when Border threatened to have him on the first plane home? Do you remember that? Jeez, he didn't have to twist his bowel to do it. No, no, no. <laughs> I don't think the daughter was the one that actually... There'll have to be an internal investigation no, into this. Colonel, I don't think that... <laughs> <laughs> I, don't think I, just, I just hope he did a slipknot. <laughs> Three really solid jokes there, I think, out of the mm, same subject. Yeah. I just realised that explains it back from a couple of weeks ago when, you know, that cricket sketch where Mick was being Alan Border on his knees and he's like, McDermott, McDermott, where's McDermott? Yeah. He mu- it must have been a real-life altercation where he said he was going to send him. Oh, that's, it, it's, they're famous for it and um, Alan Border swearing at him and the cameras picked it up on, on screen oh. and, and he, he literally said to him, I'm going to send you on the first plane home to Australia on, on the field. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. What does that mean? <laughs> they go a few times a day, don't they? <laughs> oh. out. Well, there you go. Thank you very much. You, you're a cricket aficionado already on this show, so you've helped us out a lot. All right. Uh, the next, there were a few other ones, like there was a joke about violent video games. Well, today it's now completely acceptable, but it, it was a great little joke about the Game Boy, the little lieutenant playing it, uh, <laughs> playing tennis. <laughs> And it was the stabbing version, the Monica Seller stabbing version. I think the best part about that is the, the visual of them doing the stabbing. Yeah. Because they then bring it back to the next bit, which is the Gillette twin blade on the court, and it's the, the twin blade. <laughs> yeah, that's right. A bit of the, the wanky hand gesture, yeah. Because Andre Agassi having his entire body hair shaved. Yes. <laughs> Done by the same guy who stabs Celis. This next one is all about, you know what, this is a really nerdy little joke here too because um, I'll talk about, I'll let the guys explain about uh, Graham's dating life. What does the name Nadia Comaneci mean to you? Oh, come on. What does it on, mean to come you? Come on, Colonel. No, no, come on. What? Don't bring this up in public. What? What is it? <laughs> what? Colonel, you I know don't... that I went out with her. <laughs> you went out with Nadia Comaneci? Well, I, was, I was on, on the rec- <laughs> I was on... <laughs> I was, I, was, I was on the rebound from Shane Gould. Oh. 
No, that's not true. I've broken up with Beth Francis. <laughs> Beth Francis. And I was in a love tryst with Beth Francis, Gail Mole, <laughs> and Raylene Boyle, I think. No, no, and Shirley, and Shirley Strickland. <laughs> it was an older woman. <laughs> Carry on. Well, they're all sprinters. They're all Aussie sprinters. Yes, indeed, mm. yeah. But that's a lot of name dropping. But uh, more or less uh, talking about how Nadia, you know, she got a perfect 10 on the beam, but there was no one at the end of it to hit her with a pillow. And then I start describing something <laughs> straight out of almost anything goes, a.k.a. it's a knockout. <laughs> this is this is my favourite Graham and the Colonel moment ever, where he goes, the bar was four inches wide, Colonel. <laughs> 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 And the last one, and they do go to into current affairs, and I didn't write it down phonetically. Oh, yes, I did. The Galleria of Uffizi. Uffizi. Yeah. Yes. Has opened up after a bomb blast a month before, and uh, but the damage to the statues with no arms. <laughs> yeah, all the clothes got blown off. Yeah. yeah. And some of their some of their limbs as well. Yeah. Also, Graham is using a wooden foot massager as well because he starts moaning a little bit. <laughs> and Colonel yeah. reveals to use the spray on head. Yeah, a, a couple of really good callbacks there. And and we're about to have another one as well. Another good callback in the next bit. Oh, in regards to Tommy still wearing. Yes. <laughs> uh. Yeah. yeah, he brought it in from home, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but the musical finale, it is closing time, and uh, the musical finale is meant to be Shirley Bassey, but Mick did stuff it up and did get Ron Barassi. He looks at this world and wants it all. <laughs> so he strikes like um... Yeah, which is theme song to James Bond, which is what Shirley Bassey had sung. Well, yes, I was I was going to bring this up because uh, th- this is, I think, what you could call a pedantry deep dive. Pedantry. Yeah, it was Tom Jones that sang the, the theme yeah. to Thunderball. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me wonder. Did she sing Gold, Goldfinger? I thought, yeah, Goldfinger. She did Goldfinger. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. But it turns out that Shirley Bassey recorded an album of James Bond themes in 1987, but decided not to release it for reasons that remain unclear. Although, according to the Wikipedia page, uh, it's believed that she wasn't satisfied with the quality of the recording. Oh. But it was released in 1992 as the Bond <gasps> collection, and again in 1994 as Bassey Sings Bond. Bassey then sued in court... And in 1995, a permanent injunction was granted to prevent further manufacture or sales of the album. All existing unsold copies were withdrawn from sale and the CDs are now considered rare. Wow. So technically, yeah, Shirley Bassey did perform Thunderball. It just turns out that it was up against a very crappy synthesised track because you can can, uh, find this on YouTube if you want to have a listen to it. And in particular, Shirley Bassey's last note is nothing like Tom Jones' last note on on his version of Thunderball, where Tom, I think he he reportedly passed out or was about to pass out when he did that last note of Thunderball. Oh, wow. 
But yeah, I can understand why Shirley Bassey didn't want it uh, reaching the general public. But you know, uh, go, go, on, go and find it on YouTube. You know, th- when you're talking about Tom Jones nearly passing out, that would make sense with the Spy Hard joke with Weird Al Yankovic singing the theme song. And his head exploded. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's really nerdy. Sorry about that. <laughs> that was really obscure. Uh, yeah, the, this, this is the perfect place to bring it up, Matt. Yeah. You've, you've got no other avenues. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but did anyone hear, uh, this is kind of like the ha-ha moment earlier, the laughing. Um, during the song uh, Thunderball, the audience member listening, uh, well, listen out because you will hear him say a Homer reference. And he strikes my Thunderball. And I've, I've got no idea what would have elicited uh, that reaction. Because, I mean, yeah, Ron's, Ron's really giving a, a good sort of uh, poetry uh, vibe to it. Spoken word a la William Shatner. I presume you pick Thunderball because it's ball and it's Ron Brassy. Or, that would make sense, yeah. Or but maybe because it's in his register. I don't know. Without being cruel to the segment, it was one of the lesser quality final guests they had. I mean, you know, there were others that were a lot yeah. funnier, you know, yeah. a lot more memorable. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I barely remember this one. I, being a sixteen-year-old girl who was not into sports whatsoever, I had no idea who this person was at the time. <laughs> yeah, very, very much a Melbourne celebrity, really. And I, and I say that having grown up in an AFL state where where he was known, but really he's famous in Melbourne, Ron Barassi. So I can see why the rest of the country wasn't that interested in him. Uh, also, just something we've glossed over. Tony mentioned uh, something new that's happening, which is. There being a repeat screening of the Late Show, yeah. So basically, uh, on the Sunday at eleven o'clock, sandwiched between Compass and the Tracy Ullman show, yeah. you could watch the previous weekend's uh, episode of the Late Show. So basically, it's like eight days between screens. So Liam, you were saying that's what you 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 did. You'd watch the yeah, repeat. We would literally stay up, even though we were taping it on VHS. We would stay up and watch it again the next night. And I remember always being tired for school on a Monday because <laughs> it was like eleven mm-hmm. o'clock at night. But um, did I didn't realise the Tracy Ullman show was on the ABC because that was the birthplace of the Simpsons, wasn't it? So mm. well, uh, yeah, it's a twenty-five minute running time. Um, and uh, yeah, both of those would have been a welcome relief after Compass, according to the listing here. A look at claims of she- of sexual abuse within Australian churches. Oh my god! Oh god! That Grim. really gets that really gets you in the mood for comedy for champagne comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Not. Again, again, one of those kind of awkward segues between um, different genres of programming. I was telling Matt. Uh, guys, you know, we talk about taping those episodes. Um, I actually have every episode of season two on VHS that managed to have survived, you know, moving house over the years. I, I kept it in a little um, bag and I've, I've still got it in my cupboard today. I don't even own a VCR player anymore. But, I, but I've kept like 15, you know, VHS tapes with original tapings. And I remember for a long time there, I mean, they're, they're all digitised now, but for years I remember thinking, I might be one of the only ones in Australia that still has all these episodes, you know, especially when they weren't releasing full series. It's all good and well they put the best ofs out. I don't have no idea why that the working dog didn't put out every episode on the best of DVD. Well, don't put them on eBay unless you want to get them for about 525 bucks. 
Is that what they're going for? <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous, yeah. I still have a few um, a few of them as well. But, 525 you know. bucks was a, a ridiculous price, to be yeah. honest. But, uh, yeah, I, I would say that uh, for you, Liam, those tapes are priceless. Never let them go. Yes, do not mm-hmm. let them go. Well, the, the irony is is that uh, my brother and I taped them, but he claimed them, and then I remember buying them off him at one point for fifty bucks. So I had them. I owned them out. Oh. Fifty of bucks my, of my brother. Fifty bucks. Yes. Fifty bucks. Back in the day, and yes. I remember. I remember thinking, "You'll regret that." <laughs> the ones that went on eBay weren't even the complete set. Mm. So. Yeah, well, it's no, no series one, but the entire series two we have on VHS. After the closing credits you've got the audience call list which is uh jason judith doing a ticket solicit but was there any easter eggs at all um in a way kind of because um there's a couple of people listed here which we don't see during the episode so ron Bressy is listed as a special ge- uh, guest but uh edwin Marr, charles Bartingro, and the pissweet kids are all listed as being special guests now, they all feature in an episode of Charlie the Wonder Dog that we are yet to see. So my theory here is that there must have been an episode ready to go that may have been cut maybe for time, maybe for quality reasons. They bumped it. Yeah. Mm. Did Justin say when he was on that there are a couple of oh, episodes yes. that never made it to air? So, so maybe this well, was one of them. Well, I mean, there was, there was, there was certainly... Again, mild spoilers. There was certainly a Charlie the Wonder Dog episode that featured Edward Marr, uh, who at the time uh, was the weather presenter on uh, ABC. So there were there are two episodes that never have been broadcast, Liam. So episode twenty one of the Champagne Comedy Podcast, full hearty cousin George himself, Justin Anderson, explains it. So so there you go. All right. Well, other than that, that's really it for uh, the Late Show Season 2, Episode 4. and that also, episode. Yeah, episode. Yeah. A very strong episode. And that's it for Episode 24 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast. So I just want to reiterate again, if you want to try and enter to win these uh, special pins and stickers <laughs> of Champagne Sketch Comedy uh, from the Dinkum Company, uh, all you have to do is tweet us at TLS Champagne or send us an email, champagnelateshow at gmail.com, a photo of yourself holding a bottle and a glass or something like that, equivalent of a champagne bottle and a champagne glass. It can be the most creative or whatever, and you could win some of that stuff. So we've, yeah. we've got four to give away, so hop to it. Thank you for the Dinkin Company for that. All right, thank you very much for listening. I'm Matt, and I just want to say thank you, Alison, Daniel, Kim, and crew, and Liam. Thank you very much for joining. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Champagne Comedy Podcast. Created by fans for the fans. For more information on this podcast, please visit champagnecomedy.com. Produced by Matt Fulton Productions, mattfulton.com.au.